0: Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambudhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma sambudhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato arahato samma Vodhang Dhamang Sanghang Namasami It's um, been a, a great delight for me um, being on this retreat, I must say. Uh, being able to... Uh, listen to uh, Ajahn Sumedho once again it's been a, a few years uh, since we last spent much time together also listening to Ajahn Sundara spending time with her it's, uh, uh, all three of us go back to the, the early days of the Sangha in England so uh, it's kind of the kind of old warriors effect swapping war stories from way back and uh just hearing how 20 years of, uh, uh, of practicing Dhamma have uh, affected us all. Also just being able to kind of invite them into my home territory. It's been very sweet uh, very delightful. So reflecting on um, what to to talk about this evening um, I thought I'd pick up a couple of the themes that have come up during the the uh, discussions the um, interviews in the last day or two and um, one of the questions or points that are, that is quite often mentioned uh, comes out of the uh, the metta-sutta that we chant the um uh, this is what should be done that, that chant the the verses of uh, of loving kindness and uh, as uh, you all no doubt have noticed you know you, you, the uh, first ninety five percent of the of the chant is is uh, to do with with loving kindness to do with with love and this kind of undiscriminating unconditional quality of, of benevolence towards all beings and of all kinds and all sorts and then you have this uh, this interesting little four line piece at the end which we suddenly we're moving into a different gear where uh, after um, what's been a you know, very uh, straightforward kind of tangible sense of of the way that one cultivates a um uh, a pure-hearted relationship to other beings, then um, the the last four lines, which say, um, "The pure-hearted one, uh, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world." And there, there have been numerous times when we've we've chanted this, and oftentimes with people for the first time, and you can feel this sort of this glow in the room. Oh, this is so sweet. This is so wonderful. This is so beautiful. And then you get to the, the you know, the uh, denouement. <laughs> the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires. Ooh. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> and then is not born again into this world. It's like, oh. 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 What's that about? And then it's over. Yeah. With, with no explanation. And uh, and you look up, and then the you know the the nuns or monks who've just been chanting it are kind of smiling at you, thinking, well, well, they obviously think this is all right. (laughs) Uh So, in a way, what this is talking about is um, the first element of the chant is is about um, the uh, the attitude. or relationship between beings, as a kind of um, speaking of our life in, in dualistic terms. And then the, the last element is really talking, uh, kind of entering into the wisdom teachings. And this whole understanding of, uh, of what is birth. And uh, why, if you look at any Buddhist scriptures, um, Buddhist texts, the, uh, out of the Theravada school in particular then there's this major emphasis on, on you know, not getting born again and that the the whole uh, drive of, of spiritual practice is towards you know, you know, escaping from birth escaping from rebirth um, wanting to um, get off the wheel of birth and death so you'll notice that that doesn't get talked a lot about um, in these parts <laughs> um, you know, because this is a, a very life affirming culture um, in in the west this is what we you know we like you know life and love and and fulfillment and, and um, so on and so forth and so that that which is talking about kind of leaving the world behind or um not uh, uh, so that seems to imply that not wishing to participate in this um, seems kind of negative or sour or kind of nihilistic, and so the kind of there's a, there's a recoiling, it's the, and you know, this is something that has been people mention very uh, quite quite regularly. So I thought it might be helpful just to uh, to uh, just to explore that a little bit and uh, to. Um, Give some some uh, background or some uh, way, in, uh, some understanding to the way that the language is used. Well, first of all, we we you know we are a very life affirming culture, you know, and so that um, and in the United States, you go know, more strongly so even than than in uh, in Europe, probably, where um, you know we. Uh, we exile kind of aging and death. I mean, to um, you know, another world. We don't allow that into our consciousness. You know, we don't even like to talk about that. Um, and the, uh, the the culture of kind of, of, of youth and, and strength and uh, vitality, uh, beauty is is uh, is heavily um, empowered here. This is, this is the land of the grey panthers. The uh, and you know, you you don't grow old, you just move to Florida. To <laughs> <laughs> and that uh you know, the land of of uh of uh, you know, the the uh removed wrinkles, the facelifts, the well, you know, just faces kinda of everything gets lifted. <laughs> L- lifted or padded or packed or sculpted or trimmed, you know. So that we can sustain this, this kind of feeling of, of youth and strength and, and beauty um, yeah, and create this idea of me kind of young and vigorous forever and that's good and getting old and wrinkled um, and then dying, I mean, that's, that's disaster, that's the end, that's the worst. So there's a, a huge, um, say, uh, current Within, within the culture that, that is rejecting, that is, that's denying that whole side of our life. You know, it's just the feeling of when we, we do these reflections, you know, I am of the nature to age, I have not gone beyond aging. It's like, I don't need to be reminded of that, please, you know. I, you know, the mirrors are bad enough. But And then, look, I have a problem doing my, but with my, you know, I've got enough problem dyeing my hair already, so, you know, I don't need you guys to keep rubbing it in, you know. There's moral dilemmas about whether I should or I shouldn't. Should I put my curlers in on retreat? <laughs> so, uh, this, this can be a problem. <laughs> Not for me, but... <laughs> I used to have very curly hair anyway, so it was never, never a big issue for me. But... Um, you know when the when the the current is so so strong towards you know, that you know aging sickness death is is inherently kind of bad and evil and wrong and to be you know rejected and avoided at all costs and youth and strength and beauty is kind of, is inherently good. You know as an uh, uh, as a kind of unchallenged concept, then what happens is that we we find that anything that suggests that you know then causes this kind of tension and and anxiety, stress within us, and we kind of find ourselves recoiling from that. And it's, um, it's like when, uh, one of the, the, the monks in our community pointed out, like, you know, nowadays even, like, even in your coffin, you know, you're made up to look cheerful and confident, <laughs> you know, and dressed and dress like you're on your way to a party, you know. It's like, everything's fine, you know, it's all under control, you know, I'm feeling great. I just happen to be dead, but, you know, I'm great, you know, it's all great. So, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it can't be... Um, Denied that that um, the 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 expression of the Buddha's teachings and, and uh, revolves strongly around this this concept, particularly in Theravada, about about uh, not being born again or, or trying to you know practicing so that one will kind of get off the wheel of birth and death, as it's, it's said. So in a way, it's it's helpful to understand what we mean by birth, what we mean by by that, and and um, you know looking into our own sort of life-affirming um, uh, conditioning. Now, it's not that... that um, I mean, the Buddha in his own lifetime was, was regularly and roundly criticized for being a nihilist, for being you know, a life negator, um, because of the way he spoke, the way that he put the teaching across. But over and over again he said, you know, these, you know, that those who, who, who say that I teach annihilation... Um, they misrepresent what I say, and they, do, they they This is not what I teach. Uh, they misrepresent me. Uh, you know, the, I do not teach the annihilation of an existing being. And then, you know, what he would say is, "What I teach is suffering and the ending of suffering." Principally. So, when we talk about about birth, then what, what are we what are we referring to? What is this, this thing that we are uh, so vigorous, vigor, vigorously trying to avoid? And uh, how can you know, not being born or, or kind of um, not getting, um, kind of leaving the world behind, if you like, quote unquote? How can that be seen as something that is um, not um, nihilistic or, or, or rejecting of you know all that we love, you know, and that is beautiful to us? I mean, like as Ajahn Sumedha has been regularly pointing out, you know, this is paradise. I mean, today was the perfect day. I mean, it doesn't get any better. You know, it's absolutely ideal. Gorgeous spring day. Um, so, you know, when you say not wanting to be born again into the world, it's like, hey, well, today was pretty good, you know. <laughs> I wouldn't mind some more of these, you know. It's this beautiful landscape and lovely people and, and delicious food and the kind of peaceful, calm surroundings and... Everyone is very kind and 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 quiet and gentle. And it's like, wow, this is great. Um, and that you know, what's so wrong with all of the doings and beings of the world? You know that, that we we are supposed to kind of push them away. But it's what what the Buddha is trying to point to with the middle way is um, a quality of being that's neither um, uh, pushing things away and rejecting. Nor is it um, owning and grasping hold. In the middle way, it might seem something that you know, is quite sort of easy to see and superficial, but uh, the kind of the deeper in you go, the more subtle it gets. And and this is really what this is talking about then when we you say you know, not being reborn. Or when during the moments of. Uh, 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 of the, your time here and during the meditation and during the days there are, there are times when um, the mind is really clear and awake even if you've only sort of hit this for you know, fragments moments, seconds there have been, I can guarantee that for everyone there's been moments probably when you stopped meditating <laughs> you know when the bell goes and then you go ah often that's the best moment <laughs> <laughs> when the meditation program is switched off you know, and before you, you get on to your next thing then there's peace um, but it, you know, in certain moments the mind is clear and awake um, there is uh, there's a quality of, of balance of wholeness there's no, there's no uh, sense of self and uh, everything is absolutely fine there's nothing missing, there's nothing uh, uh, intruding. You know, everything is just as it should be, and even if there might be you know a pain in your leg or you know or some you know, thoughts you know passing through your mind or or some kind of noises around you or uh, or some um, uh, whole, you know whole sets of of things going on in the in the world or things that you're doing in that in that moment. Then you know, there's no dukkha. Everything is fine. And at that moment, when there's a real, when there's that quality of of clearness, of balance, of integ- uh, of integration, then uh, at that moment, we're not being born. You know, the world is just as just as it is. We haven't created a, a me here and a world out there. It's not me observing the world. It's not kind of me even, not even me doing my meditation. But at, that, at the moment when we let go of the me and the, the you, let, letting go of the subject-object, the self and the world, and there's just this, there's just life being this way, you know, as, as Ajahn Sameda has been saying over, again, over and over again, like, it's this way, you know, this is the way it is. And the moment when the heart really awakens to that, oh, it's like this. And that the subject-object uh, duality, you know, is interrupted for a moment, then right there, there's nobody born. Then, as soon as the mind goes, "Oh wow, I really got it!" <laughs> Birth. <laughs> At that moment, as soon as the, "Oh, I got it! Oh, this is great! How can I keep this?" Birth. And then, and then, as soon as, you, as soon as you realise that you're, you've Followed that, oh, how can I keep it? Then whoop, suddenly there's me trying to get something, and the, that you know, that magical uh, balance and beauty is is broken. And then there's grief because <laughs> after birth, you know, following birth, there's a, there's the um, the life process, and then inevitably death because everything that's born dies. So then there's like, oh, damn. I ruined it. (laughs) Death. Loss. Incompleteness. So this is what the the Buddha pointed to in his teachings on dependent origination. Um, It's pointing to how this gets caused. That birth as a psychological process, as well as as across lifetimes, bodies being born and dying more particularly and more usefully it's a pattern that we can see moment by moment, a thousand times ten thousand times a day when uh, you know, Ajahn Chah used to use the example of saying you know, watching uh, if you wa- observing dependent origination at work is like falling out of a tree and counting the branches on the way down you know, it's like it just happens so fast but yet, yeah, this is exactly what we've been really exploring. Like, I, w- what we've been looking at in terms of, of uh, the, the mind getting caught up in desire, and then the mind letting go of desire, the second and third noble truths. These are, these are really, what dependent origination is about, is a fine analysis of the second and third noble truths. How we create difficulty, alienation, struggle, um, and how that ends. You know, how it comes into being and how it ends, and that what all that dependent origination teachings are doing is like mapping exactly how that works. And so it's um, it's these teachings which which are showing us how you know how we get born, how this being, how this person comes into being, and you know all the different people that we are. You know you. The the diligent meditator. You the failed meditator. You know, me the the you know the the, the monk who's sitting here saying nothing and then suddenly oh that's in my turn to give a talk, or me the suddenly I have become a teacher again. <laughs> I wasn't a teacher for a week. Now I'm teaching again. <laughs> then you know you as the as the parent, as the child, as the pot washer, as the walker, as the sleeper as the, the, the goofer-offer. <laughs> you know, whatever it might be. We're, we're, we're born as a, a hundred, a thousand different people during the day. Whatever pattern takes, place, takes shape and the mind grabs hold of it, as birth happens right there. So, uh, when we see that happening, when we see that kind of identity forming, when, we, we, when the heart grabs hold of something and is uh, absorbed into it and born into it, then that is what we're trying to bring to an end. The pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desire, is not born again into this world. So it's like the pure-hearted one, Like so the, the, the metta teachings, the teachings on loving kindness are to do with establishing that attitude of purity of heart. Of kind of the heart in accord with, with truth, having clarity of vision, seeing the way things really are, being freed from all sense desire, like when we, we understand that whole desire system and the heart is no longer caught into it, then birth doesn't happen. Now, it doesn't mean to say that when you, when you let go of desire, you, your body evaporates, it's like, okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> and maybe in the, some of the Tibetan t- traditions, you turn into a rainbow and... Just leave your fingernails and your hair behind. (laughs) I've never seen it happen. But uh, but not being born doesn't mean to say that you just kind of... Or you space out. It doesn't mean that you space out. And just sort of go into a kind of coma. It's it's an invisible thing. I remember one time when uh, Ajahn Sumedha was teaching at Amravati... You know, he'd be you know, up on the Dharma seat and he'd be talking about the same theme, and he'd say, "Okay, I'm going to stop existing. Watch. <laughs> okay, now there's a tomato. Now there's no tomato. Can you tell the difference?" <laughs> 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 and you know, from the out- so from the outside. There's no, it doesn't look as though anything's happening. But from the inside, there's just a, like a, a letting go of that sense of self and other. So the, the you know, a way that we can look at this and, and track it is just in terms of, of working with experience. So, in the beginning, <laughs> there's a feeling or a, a thought, a perception, a sound, a form, and uh, it, begins by, it begins with interest. So there's this, this, this teaching um, which goes, uh, rooted in interest are all things, and born of attention are all things. Arising from contact are all things. Diverging into feelings are all things. That's how it begins. So that uh, interest, ooh, what's that? Or, ooh, what's that? So we get interested in a pain, in, in, a, in, a, in a shape, in a form, in a sound, in a thought. Interest then hatches and kind of gestates and becomes attention. The mind locks onto it. Attention then um, concretizes into contact. You know, The mind takes hold of it. When, there's, when, when we're fully contacted it, then there's, oh, this is nice. Or, ooh, and I want more of this. Or, ooh, this is painful. I don't like this. So that there's this, it diverges into feelings. Uh, the contact locks on, then it goes into some form of, of feeling. So then when we hit feeling, then there's two tracks possible. The, uh, the, the first track is that, that that causes rebirth, causes birth and death. So what happens, um, you know, as we've been describing over these last few days, is a feeling conditions a desire. Like, if it's pleasant, it's like, ooh, that's good. And then the feeling then starts to narrow, and it's like become, the the vision closes in on this object and says, ooh, I want more of that. This is good. So then desire conditions uh, clinging, clinging conditions becoming, becoming conditions birth. These are kind of Buddhist jargon words. (laughs) So what we mean is like, it's just basically a, a tightening of the grip, so that you you know you you uh, you see this and think, oh this is beautiful, and then I think uh, yeah it's really beautiful. So that then there's a, the um, there's an aesthetic appreciation which is just feeling, and then hmm you yeah, know I really like one of these desire clinging yeah I, how can I go about getting one of these what can I do to kind of acquire clinging the mind is kind of locked onto it becoming is then when you actually start following that through who can i talk to around here and <laughs> how do i get this or maybe i should just kind of drop some hints to jack or <laughs> and then becoming is where the mind is absorbed into into the object completely and also along with becoming is the what the the entire consumer culture is built around which is the thrill of getting what you want when you know you say, when you, you fully uh, absorbed into the, the, the desire to own this thing and then someone comes along and says yeah sure you can have it or, or um, you, you get what you want whether it's you know, a, uh, another bowl full of apple crumble or uh, you know, a smile from your teacher or um, uh, a, um, a sitting with no pain in your knees or <laughs> whatever it might be you know, another beautiful day, you know, that you get what you want. And then that moment is absolutely delicious. There is, there is complete gratification. And this is what, what the whole, uh, adi- every addictive cycle, the whole consumer culture, revolves around that hit. Because at that moment, the, the, the universe is contracted to this one little spot, and that spot is absolutely delicious. Yes! Good! <laughs> Mine. <laughs> it gets <it's> pretty primordial. <laughs> um, and at that moment, the the gratification is, is complete and is, is real. But what we don't realize is that the rest of the universe has been screened out of the picture. So that's why it's becoming. We've become that. That's we, We've been entirely born into that. But then, of course, we can't sustain that for very long. And then what we become, then then... Um, turns into the cause of birth. It's like there's no birth is at the point of no turning back. It's too late, you know, the baby has arrived. You know, that you can't you can't go back. There's no return. So then um, we've we've gone for the third bowl full of apple crumble. Regardless of what everyone else is, you know, looking at us <laughs> slightly <laughs> askance and, you know, we've we've believed the scenario that we've been telling ourselves. You know, we've, we've made our way all the way down to the pay phone and <laughs> have made that phone call that we couldn't resist making to our, uh, our beloved or to our tax man or <laughs> commodity broker. <laughs> you know, we've, we've followed it through. And then after the point of no return, it's like then the repercussions of it. Like, well, I was full after the first bowl full. Uh, I did it again. I blew it. The, the results of, f- of following that uh, are, are then manifest. And so, uh, in, in the, the recitation of the Paticha Samuppada, birth is immediately followed. They don't really go into much detail about kind of enjoying the life after birth. <laughs> Ordinary life. You go straight into um, uh, old age sickness <laughs> Sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. (laughs) Jati Jara Marana Sokapari Deva Dukkha Domanasa Upayasa. Which one of our friends refers to as these are a few of my favourite things. (laughs) Sokapari Deva Dukkha Domanasa Upayasa. Sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. Because what, then what happens is like I did it again. I, this is crazy. I, you, know, I'm, you know, I said I wasn't going to do that, and, and here I am. I've blown it again. I, uh, you know. So it's the, it's the, the shadow side of the, of the thrill of getting what we want. Is then you, you've, you realize you've fed the addiction, or you've now got the bill, or you've now got the baby. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Twenty years. <laughs> right, okay well it was a great night but <laughs> okay Yeah. and so then that's the sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief and despair the kind of, there's the feeling of of, um, of of alienation, of incompleteness, of sorrow, of regret you know, not that that's the only feelings but these are the things that sting so that's what you know, the Buddha points to. So then, what causes um, this? So this is like what I like to call ego death. You know, you failed publicly. It's fallen apart. You've blown it. It's not worked. Um, it hurts. So what then? Co- what, what, what then causes this to to be reborn, or what causes the cycle to keep going? Is that? then what happens is here we are in a sort of slightly uncomfortable, sort of lost, alienated, not feeling good. And what happens is that then the thought arises, you know, I wonder what's in the refrigerator. Or, well maybe I could talk to so-and-so. Or maybe just, maybe just another. And so that the mind goes back to the last place it felt good. This is a, all functioning on a very instinctual basis. It's not, reason doesn't get much of a look in. You know, the reason, you know, the, the, the passion is there and then the reason is pulled in to back it up. So that what happens is we're feeling in this kind of lost, incomplete state. So the last time we felt good was in the middle of our becoming phase. So then we find ourselves inexorably drawn back to that same thing. And any of you who have ever given up drinking or cigarettes or or anything, chocolate cake, you know, you'll you'll realise well we, we're all probably painfully familiar with this cycle. So then, to your own amazement, you know, there you are again, a similar situation the next day and you you know, you, you spent the last eighteen hours beating yourself up for having had three bowls of apple crumble. And and there you are again at the food line and you think, I'm doing it again. I'm doing it again. And I said I wasn't gonna do this. You think, well just one more i mean i really need to be kind to myself <laughs> i mean after all you know i don't want to beat myself up and, and then we're inexorably drawn back to the to the same the same thing the cycle repeats itself this is rebirth over and it can change objects and it changes you know whether it's it's not always something as simple and straightforward as apple crumble as we all know you know it can be it can be affirmation, it can be uh, material success, it can be um, being praised for, for doing good things, it can be um, uh, accomplishment at meditation practice, you know, you name it. <laughs> we, can, we, we, we can just get caught in this endless process of feeding these cycles. And this is the birth that we're aiming to end because all of us know that that kind of addictive process of one kind or another um whether it's you know scoring points at work or in our family or or following desires or or um escaping from fears venting our aversions we all know this and we all know this is a painful process so when we talk about not being born again this is what we mean like not getting caught in that cycle not getting put through the ringer over and over, being imprisoned, burdened by our obsessions, addictions, anxieties. That feeling of, I've got to have. I can't stand it. I really need. My doctors told me I have to. <laughs> it's a prison. It's a prison. And you know, the, the Buddha's teaching is, is to help us out of the prison. So then the other track that follows from feeling and this, uh, this teaching um, I was reciting so you get diverging into feelings are all things then uh, headed by concentration are all things Surmounted by domin- uh, headed by concentration are all things uh, surmounted by wisdom are all things dominated by mindfulness are all things Yielding deliverance as their essence are all things. Merging with the deathless are all things. Terminating in Nibbana are all things. Headed by concentration, dominated by mindfulness, surmounted by wisdom. Yielding deliverance as their essence. Merging with the deathless, (coughs) terminating in Nibbana. That's a different option. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So what it means is, like, um, headed by concentration means that when there's a feeling of, like, oh, yeah, delicious, or, or, oh, dear, that's frightening, or I don't like that, or, you know, know, he's interesting, or I like her, or, you know, she's horrible, and and, I want more of this. Aha, feeling. Or looking out of the beauty of the landscape. Or feeling the... um, the pain like the news of this the, the tragedy in this school in in Colorado like the pain of that and like oh you know why can people be like that and you know what you know how we can um, allow the you know the the um, the the quantity of arms to be in circulation in this country and and you know who's to blame and 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 uh, just feeling the, the the pain of it, and the mind grabbing hold of it, and just that sense of, of grief and frustration. Then being able to to hold it in the space of of samadhi, of concentration, the mind is the the feeling is there, but we but it's held. There's a there's a um, a kind of spaciousness around that feeling. So whether it's painful or pleasant, whether it's beautiful, or ugly, uh, in, in, inside ourselves or outside ourselves, whether how we might label it, or every single feeling, every, you know, we can hold in the same way. When there's when there's when the mind is, is is concentrated, when there's samadhi, when there's mental balance, then that feeling is held, that experience is held. And so you know, in the kind of reflective meditation that 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 um, Ajahn Sumedha has been teaching, that this is really what we're aiming to do, is like using reflection to help us to more effectively hold feelings. Not to suppress them, not to deny them, but to, to know them completely so that there's that feeling is there, but we're conscious of the space around it, the space permeating it. So we're fully with it, knowing it, but unconfused by it. So say, with the, the, this, the, the tragedy in Colorado, when, you, when, when, you, when that comes to mind, there's a feeling of grief and, and sadness. And there's, you know the mind might go into the stories, but instead of that, going into the stories, then we get lost, and it should be this way, and it shouldn't be that way, and what am I going to do about this, and how can this go on? Then you're like, l- drawing the attention away from the stories and just coming to the feeling, like, no, this is grief. This is, just a, this is a feeling of grief, and it's like this. You're not trying to get rid of it, you're not making any comment about it, you're just fully with that, holding it. Then, as, that, as it's held in samadhi, then, like, uh, dominated by mindfulness, surmounted by wisdom, it's like then, you're, you're, you're conscious of, like, you know, this is an event, you know, I heard the news, now there's this 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 natural response, this feeling. Aha! Uh-huh. There's a, there's a mindfulness of it. The mind is full of it. You know, it, there is that. The mind is fully with it. And then uh, wisdom is then like a light which penetrates that, saying, so, "Yo, this is um, this is a feeling. As a as a human being, we have a body, we have a mind. When we hear." Or we meet with such tragedy, then this is the natural response. This pain—it's this is this is the way things are, you know. And this has arisen, and then it'll cease. This is a, a condition of nature. It's not—it doesn't belong to me. It doesn't. Uh, it has no owner. Uh, it, but it's experienced here in consciousness. So wisdom is like permeating that. That experience, whether it's you know me going rabid over another mouthful of of, uh, of apple crumble, or me kind of conjuring up the you know the ultimate meditation plan, or figuring out what I'm going to do next week, or, or, what I, or, or what that rattle was in my car when I parked it in the parking lot, or whether it's grieving over the the, the dead children in in Colorado, whatever it, whether it's beautiful or ugly, you know, high or low. Um, in exactly the same way, we 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 are allowing the light of, of wisdom to permeate it, to to shine through that, so that we begin to see that every aspect of of life, internal or external, has this kind of transparency to it. That and this is what wisdom is is like illuminating every experience from the from the inside, and then you know say in. in in sort of traditional expression of vipassana, then we we say you know we recognize it as impermanent, selfless, and unsatisfactory, and you know, that can get a bit uh, pretty clinical. But experientially, you know what we're seeing is is like to me this is how it, it kind of comes across is we're, we're like we're, we're starting to see through things that the, the, the all those experiences are there, but they are they don't uh, they're not concrete they're not solid. They are, we see that they are events happening in consciousness. They're woven out of our consciousness. They are mind stuff that's known here and now. And that as we we know them in that way, I'm not saying they don't have any uh, substan- uh, any reality. That is, and I'm not saying that it's all just a dream. But right now we know we experience it here. And that, as that wisdom penetrates it, then the heart is uh, is released. There's no um, limitation or confinement. It's only because of the heart latching onto what is limited that we experience limitation. We lock ourselves in the prison. When we, when the heart, is, when we, when when, it, when we see clearly, the heart. Does not cling, doesn't get confused, doesn't doesn't contract itself by being born into the various uh, objects, experiences, events. We see them clearly, then, then we realize the in, the intrinsic spaciousness, emptiness of the heart is not obstructed or or embellished by any of the events that occur within it. Just like within this room, you know, there's space in this room. And you know we come and we go, but the space in the room is actually undisturbed by our comings and goings. You know the space is still the same. You know, we come into it and we leave it, but the, the space is still there. So this is what it means, like yielding deliverance as its essence are all things, so that when things are known and understood with wisdom and mindfulness, then everything, you know, every event that, it, uh, that occurs in consciousness yields deliverance. And then, as it says, merging with the deathless, terminating in Nibbana. So, deathless is a, uh, you know, when Ajahn Sumedha was, was, um, when we were opening Amravati Monastery in England, Amravati, the name of it means the the deathless realm. So, he put together this little book of his teachings that was called The Path to the Deathless. And, Wisdom publications wanted to produce a version of this and they said, Well you've got to change the title. I said, What do you mean? He said, It's a really inspiring title. He said, Well no, you've got a double negative there, you know, deathless. I mean not even just death, but deathless. That's a double negative, no one will ever buy it. So he kind of frowned and we compromised that mindfulness, the path to the deathless. <laughs> So they never printed it. (laughs) We we created our own free distribution version. So the deathless, you know, we you know again like going back to the 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 theme of life affirmation. Deathlessness doesn't seem terribly appealing. You know, absolute life, being absolutely alive, we can relate to. But deathlessness, it's like ooh. (laughs) Sounds like suspended animation, you know. It doesn't pluck the heartstrings. But what it's pointing to is that quality that's intrinsic in our nature, which is beyond time, like, like the akaliko, dhamma, sanditiko, akaliko, apparent here and now, timeless. That quality of our own nature, which is not involved with time or place or individuality, which is completely free, of those qualities. So it's like that, we, and it's, it's called you know, the deathless dhamma, the amata dhamma. So that this is a, an element of our nature that when we, we really follow through uh, an experience, a sound or a feeling or a thought or an emotion, when, when we know it completely and we follow it through to its end, with, with wisdom, then um, where does it go? You know, as, it, as it dissolves, when it passes away, what remains is, is peacefulness. As soon as the, the, the heart is unclouded by grasping, as soon as that dissolves, what remains is, is the intrinsic, deathless, unconditioned quality of mind. And the clear knowing of that is what we call Nibbāna, peacefulness, coolness. So that you know, every condition of mind, every experience, every event, pleasant or painful, whether it's a kind of tearing grief, or uh, you know, an ebullient excitement, or uh, just the feeling of your foot going into your sandal, you know, every single experience Will take us to the deathless. Will will help us, enable us to to realize nibbana, peacefulness, if we let it. Now, when we 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 talk in this way, it can start to sound a little bit abstruse. But as I was saying at the beginning, just. You bear in mind, or, or, or think for yourself, that moment, those moments when you know everything was absolutely fine, and not the kind of fine when you got what you want, you know, the kind of the nibbana of <laughs> chomping on the pie, you know, <laughs> but the, you know, the those moments where there's complete in, kind of integration and clarity, and, a, and an absence of, of self and other when everything is just fine. And every one of us has, and, I, and I, seriously, when I meant it, like oftentimes it's at the end of the sitting when the bell is rung, when you're, you're, you're mindful and you're, you're, you're there and you've just, there's the medi- me the meditator is gone and, and me going to get my shoes hasn't quite arrived. <laughs> me doing the next thing, it's like, ah, the space between worlds. The kind of undefined being. Like, ah. You know, every one of us knows the the sheer simplicity and bliss of that, that quality. We all know it. We all we all delight in it, but it doesn't grab our attention, does it? Often, uh, oftentimes, we're so distracted by kind of doing our practice or going about our work, or you know, that we, we miss that intrinsic simplicity, the, the you know the deathless reality, our own kind of immortal. The immortal quality of our own nature—that which is not born, not dying, that which is outside of time—because it doesn't grab our attention, because we don't have to do anything to make to make it or to get it—it it, it evades us. We miss it. It's like space. It doesn't grab our attention. Which is why, like in the third noble truth, it says, dukkha niroda has to be realized. You've got to actually consciously notice space. You have to notice that. Peace of the mind, that the silence of the mind that is underlies every sound, the spaciousness which is permeating and surrounding every form, the stillness which is the environment, of the background of every movement because y- it won't grab your attention and if you don't consciously realize it, you'll miss it. It's like you know you look into a room, there's nothing there go on to the next thing. Oh, like, well, nothing interesting happening here, but it's like going into the room and, "Ah, oh, nice place."." Ah. So that conscious appreciation, recognition of, of emptiness, of timelessness, selflessness, niroda, when the the thingness has ceased. When the, not only the dukkha has ceased, but also the self and other, the um, subject object relationship, when the the uh, me in here and the world out there, when it's ceased when that when, you, when that duality has has stopped to, to to stop to notice that to really taste that then then we're able to actually Experience the the, you know, the fruits of our practice because we can we can put a tremendous amount of attention into like truth number two, working on you know the three kinds of desire and and letting go of them. You know it's like you're you're out there kind of digging the garden and planting all the stuff, but unless you pick the fruit and eat it, then you're missing out on truth number three, which is the goodies. You know, <laughs> and you're doing all the necessary to plant the orchard and kind of take care of it and make sure it's all healthy and good. But you know, unless you actually stop, look, pick, eat, <laughs> then you don 't get the benefit of the fruit that you 've spent all this energy cultivating, so that a lot of the ailment of the kind of, of uh, in the meditation world, particularly in in the west with with Vipassana meditation, there's tremendous energy has been going into the the you know truth num- working on truth number two, but then not a lot of emphasis on consciously tasting the the deathless nibbana, like really knowing that. And so that's why you know my my pet theory is that that's why over the last number of years so many people have started getting interested in Advaita Vedanta or Zogchen, because they're the kind of like hanging out in the orchard. <laughs> It's like they that's the abiding and, and, and awakening to the intrinsic uh, peaceful, pure perfection of, of the mind. It's like picking the fruit, tasting it, eating it. And one of the things that that, that goes along with this, and you might it might sound like, Well, hey, yeah, I'm definitely on, on that track and you know, the more I can do of that the better. Well what what can happen also is that that when we we arrive at those moments of of like uh, of clarity when we kind of really when the self is let go of, then rather than the experience being one of, of delight and kind of sheer bliss, um, what we can experience in its place is, is, is terror. And uh, so this is interesting. <laughs> just, uh, yesterday, uh, yesterday, someone came to visit uh, Ajahn Sumedho at tea time, and and uh, he was talking about the, hitting this kind of phase in his practice a number of years ago, and just guy quaking with fear, and going to his teacher and saying, I've, "I've hit this place in my meditation. I'm just like I don't know what it is. I'm afraid of, but you know I'm terrified of something." And, and his teacher Aiken Roshi said, "Yes." there's absolutely nothing to be afraid of which you can you can read that sentence a few ways there is absolutely nothing to be afraid of absolutely there's absolute nothingness to be afraid of but there's absolutely nothing to be afraid of <laughs> so that what can happen is that as we, we, we let go of ourselves, it's like Ajahn Chah said, it's like, you know, every, it's as though all your life you've, you've done everything together with your best buddy, and then the Buddha comes along and says you've got to break up. So this is what it's like, you know, letting go of the ego. Is that, you know, you have, you've had a life together, and now you're having to say, bye-bye, <laughs> or or, or, even worse, you're not in charge anymore, and so then there can be this to the ego. This kind of insight is is terrifying because it means death, it means the end, it means disaster, and and so actually, what we find, what what drives us a lot in life, um, in our obsessiveness, in our addictions, in our kind of busyness, in our kind of do-goodingness. Um, is this feeling of um, the kind of intuition of the, the emptiness of the ego or the kind of insubstantiality of it. And we feel it like a, 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 an intuition of a, of a void or an emptiness in us. And so we're trying to jam that void. We treat it as our worst enemy and we try to jam ourselves with activity and busyness and projects and meditation practices. <laughs> and uh, you name it, good works. Um, to, to, to fill that void up. And we treat it like a kind of terrible disease or an enemy that we've got to escape from. But actually, you know, and then when we, 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 we say we stop doing those, you know, we, we stop the escape programs, and then we can. St- and this is what this man was describing where it's this, we're left in the presence of that, you know, the, the kind of recognizing that this is hollow, it's empty, it has no substance. The the eye is just an impression. There's no there's no fundamental substance there. So to the ego itself it's it's the worst possible thing. But rather than that, that void actually being you know the our worst enemy, it's like when you when you turn to 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 face it and the heart opens to it, then we realise this is actually our greatest friend but that that void that emptiness is actually complete means complete freedom because that the uh, to the letting go of self to the ego is is a disaster but to the heart it's freedom so when the when the ego meets with the unknown with the with its own insubstantiality then it, there's this kind of shock and fear and you know and, and many of you might have experienced this you know when you you've had some kind of insight like this and then suddenly you think I want to eat something <laughs> I want to read a newspaper <laughs> Yeah, what's on the radio I, I got a oh you know I really need to work on my toenails or I need to take a shower or something anything just for me to do something to kind of define my being and a kind of desperation and it's it's kind of, it's kind of be quite absurd sometimes you know quite laughable, the stuff that we find ourselves getting really excited about. I remember one woman saying, "I took, it was after I took four baths in one day, you know, <laughs> I realized I was kind of desperate for for some, uh, something to f- to fill my mind with. Yeah, four baths in a day is <laughs> it's the kind of clue that there's something is going a bit off track. So, to to be able to to recognize where that fear is coming from, and then seeing that it, what's happening is that the ego is being threatened, and that but when when we we kind of let consciously let go of the egoic perspective and come from the heart, then we begin to see that to the to the heart itself, that that uh, quality of undefined being, that spaciousness. That emptiness, the the uh, the transparency of the, of the, of the feeling of self, the recognize the recognition that the feeling of self is just a feeling, like you know the the texture of the cl- of your clothing on your skin or the the force of gravity. It's just a familiar feeling, but it's a feeling that comes and goes. That to the heart, it's like, hey, this is great, <laughs> you know, the sentence is over. Yeah, school's out. We can we can breathe at last. There's there's freedom. And so this this, dile- this little this kind of dichotomy, or this dilemma, this contrast, is something that all of us are, are working with a great deal in, in spiritual practice. That how the the sense of self kind of um, tries to concretize, tries to crystallize and, and maintain itself, and then bringing the the qualities of the heart, bringing wisdom and mindfulness to bear on that, and and just saying no, meeting the kind of waves of fear and and agitation and negotiation, <laughs> and just being and letting the heart say no, no, and not no because you know I hate you or I fear you, but no because no, you're not the reality. You're, th- this, is not, this is not something to, to place at the center of the universe. It's the ego has its, has its role in nature, but it's not something to hand your life over to. And then in that gesture of, of, like, uh, of knowing that kind of egoic self-preservation urge, knowing it, feeling it, and releasing it, then at that moment, there's, there's the experience of, of freedom, deliverance, peacefulness. So I offer these words for you to reflect on this evening. Anyone? Ranga say,